0: Take your Bibles if you have not yet. Uh, Luke 2. We've been here a time or two this year, but want to be there again this morning. Luke chapter 2, and let's go ahead and stand together. Luke chapter 2. Probably one of the most uh, common Christmas narratives found in the Word of God, and a simple message entitled Glory to God. Would you to find the place, then, if you would, just look up here for a second? Luke chapter 2. I believe it was last week, last Wednesday, we talked about the names of God. And, you know, how Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 consolidates the infinite, incredible God into, you know, this couplet of four different names. And one of those names was Prince of Peace. And certainly Jesus Christ is that. He, he is the Prince of Peace. In Matthew chapter 5, when you look at the Beatitudes and the characteristics that should be in the followers of Christ, one of those characteristics is we should be peacemakers. And we're blessed for being that. When you and I uh, try to reconcile ourselves with other people, we try to bring in an atmosphere of peace. That is something that is to be commended in our lives. Um, Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 speaks that, you know, for those who know God, that He keeps us in perfect peace. You have peace in the circumstance of life that defies all understanding, that the Lord can, can bring that. So lots of thoughts about peace. In Matthew chapter 10, though, something very interesting is said about Christ. And there was this conversation that he was having, and he says, think not that I have come to bring, next word, is peace. He said, No, 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 on the contrary, I, I've not come to bring peace, but in a way, division. And he talks about how people in this choice would be divided, you know, even in their own family, friend against friend, and, 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 and co-worker maybe against co-worker, the way we say it today. And even in their own family, there would be division. So lots of thoughts about peace. And so the text is going to say something about that as well today, and so look at me, we, we'll read the first verse, we'll just read the whole Christmas story here. But the highlight of our text will be verse number 14. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David." And of course that was important to the Christmas story um, in that the genealogies of both Jesus, I'm sorry, of Mary and Joseph, uh, made Christ the only possible Messiah. Verse 6, "...and so it was, that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn." And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, as we would be as well. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Now notice this phrase, which shall be to all people. So there is this, this message, this truth, we would call it the gospel, that is being proclaimed to everyone. And so it, it's, just, it's an incredible thing that's being done. And the angel said, Fear, unto them fear not, before I bring you these good tidings of great joy to all people. For unto you is born, this day, in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now this event. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Praising God. And this is what they said. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. The Apostle Paul um, said something that I think reminded me of this text and this incredible gift that was given to Christ. In that ninth chapter, of 2 Corinthians said this in his conclusionary thought, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Our Holy Father we thank You for the next few moments You're going to give us as we look into Your Word and consider the birth of Christ and all that it initiated. Uh, Lord, I, I pray you'd help us, um, Lord, uh, just to find application in our heart, something that works out in a way where, where we navigate this, this Christmas season, we have a greater appreciation for the unspeakable gift that is Christ. And I, I ask your help with this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for standing. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Um, is not normally used for a Christmas text. Rather, it is a portion of Scripture that is used often for missions conferences. And we have certainly preached and used that text here uh, in that way. Uh, This larger context is about giving, that God is talking about He is able to make people sufficient who give. That when people give that He is all sufficient and He can make sufficiency abound to them. In 2 Corinthians 9 the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to follow through on a commitment of giving that they had made a year earlier as a church family. Paul had presented uh, the church with a need in Jerusalem um, that had resulted in a famine. A famine had come into the region. The Jerusalem church and its uh, membership were acutely affected by that. They stood in great need. So, for about a year, as Paul went and planted churches and revisited churches, he told people about this need and he asked them for a pledge that would be gathered a year's time in, in the future. And Um, Many people hearing this need, understanding that really from the Jerusalem church, you know came forth their spiritual lives, many gave in a great way. One of those churches would have been the Macedonian church. We'd call that the Philippian church. And there in that uh, first, second chapter where we're told how they gave in an incredible way. You know they they, they gave um, to their ability and beyond their ability. They themselves were in great poverty, uh, but God's generosity and liberality abounded in in such a way that they gave. And and so, um, this is what the Corinthians had heard, and so when Paul talked about this like the Macedonians, they initially said, yeah, let's give and let's give big. But time passed on. And um, the great passion and zeal that they had was beginning to wane over the course of a year. Paul was about to arrive and collect that promised gift. And so, verses 6 and 8 in that chapter, and don't turn there, um, Paul saying. You know, trust God. I know times are hard for you. You know, um, your own debts have maybe incurred, but you you fulfill that promise and, and you trust the Lord. And so he concludes. He concludes this is just kind of unique to me. He concludes this exhortation to give. To me, in this sort of moment of reflection, so he says to him, "You made, you made a promise. Go ahead and give it." And like now he's reflecting on the ultimate giver. And he's reflecting on the gift that is Christ. And you know, the one who became poor that we might become rich. And he just says, the way I feel it, it's like springs out of his heart. He says, thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. It sort of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Like I'm asking you to give a few bucks for these people in desperate need, and that may seem hard to you, but for a moment stop and think about the unspeakable gift that God gave. And that just reminded me, as I am studying, as I have many years, Luke, chapter 2. It's a way of saying um, this unspeakable gift, there are not words in the human vocabulary describe the depth of God's riches and generosity in giving His Son Jesus Christ. Um, what we have in Christ is indescribable. It's an unspeakable gift. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's absolutely amazing, and it's just a great thought. And I think, at Crispin, that merits our reflection, the gift that we were given in 2 Corinthians 9 and, of course, in Luke chapter 2. Well, decades earlier, from the writing of 2 Corinthians 9, there was another man, another man who took up the pen under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to chronicle for us the Christmas story. His name was Luke. Now, by trade, we know that Luke was a physician he was also a companion of the Apostle Paul. So, so it's not really super amazing that one man would say, thank God for his unspeakable gift, and another man to you know, say glory to God for this, this same gift, this person of Jesus Christ. In the second chapter of Luke's Gospel, again, Luke, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is chronicling for us the circumstances in the history, all the prophecy that dovetails together in the birth of Jesus Christ. This is Israel's King and humanity's Savior. The scene is pastoral in the moment. It's simple, it's straightforward. And with a surgeon's precision, he tells the story of Christ's birth. That He was born at the right time, in the right place, to the right parents, with the right genealogy, in a humble setting, fulfilling centuries of prophetic utterance. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. A human representative was born in Christ who bore the ability, the right, and the willingness to be Israel's king and humanity's savior. Jesus Christ was born to the world. Though they missed this political and social uh, you know, the meaning of Christ's birth this time. Uh, the shepherds, of course, were doing what they were doing. The rest of humanity were going about this business. This epic birth was missed, but not by all. And Luke tells us this extraordinary account about the angels appearing. And it says that the angels came and presented themselves in the sky above these uh, shepherds. And they sang a song that heaven could not contain. And the Bible says there were myriads. Um, myriads is meant to imply an incalculable number. It would mean 10,000. is an expression that would have been known as ten thousands times ten thousands, And it's not It's an idiom rather than a mathematical equation. It means angels without number. Now, I just want you to imagine the scene for a moment. Here's a singular angel telling Joseph and Mary to fear not. And then all of a sudden across the sky is a countless number of heavenly hosts singing an anthem, singing a song that as great as the choir was and the men's group sang had to be quite extraordinary. Matter of fact, I'm going to submit to you in whatever eternity is and sums up, nothing like that had ever been done before, at least not on that platform and on this particular stage of the earth's door, they sang God's praise. They sang to ascribe, as the text says, glory to God in the highest. Now, this word in the Greek means degree. So it could imply, certainly, that we're we seeing glory to God who's in the highest reaches of heaven. But the idea is this is whatever praise and glory we can muster with our voices, the the, the greatest ability we have to ascribe glory to God, that's what they were doing in that moment. All the things that God could be glorified for, this was the highest thing that they knew to praise God for, the birth of Christ. This event merited the highest praise, the highest honor, the highest glory that this angelic choir could muster. It was the moment, like Paul, where he says, thanks be unto God for this unspeakable gift, when angels instead of men contemplated what God had done in Christ. The question, of course, is what did God do? What was He doing? And I think it's somewhat obvious and it's what the angels were recognizing and giving God glory. What was it? What was it they were ascribing glory for? And you could say, yes, it was God's character. Um, God is amazing. He is uh, omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is majestic. He is the Lord of Lord. He is the creator. But it was something in their minds and hearts greater than that. What they were praising God for was the gift of a Savior. Look with me in verse number 11. For unto you is born in this day, in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It says this, for unto you. Um, Who's the you? It's mankind. Who's to you? The human audience present in the moment. Unto you, in your time, in this audience, all the scriptures, all the prophecies, all that was said about the coming Christ has been fulfilled in the child that was born in the manger. That child is the Christ. That implies deity man and God joined together, the the coming ruler of Israel. It was meant to imply the King of kings and Lord of lords, the great God and humanity's Savior. The angels are recognizing a pivotal moment in human and cosmic history. It was the first and only time upon this stage that the host of heaven, and this could have been all that there are, were gathered to praise God for His act, motivated by love, but preserved in His holiness to give you and me an unspeakable, indescribable gift. That moment as I'm reading the text, and I've read it, like you, dozens, I don't know, hundreds of times. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards man, obviously for the Savior. But I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about God becoming man. Wow, that merits glory, and incredible contemplation. I'm, I'm thinking about, as Hebrews says, the God who fashioned himself as a servant and came lower than the angels. Now, I think about this. The angels here, I, I, don't know, I don't know a lot about angels. I don't know how they think or what they, what, they, what they contemplate. But they know God is awesome, majestic, and they know their own awesome power. And they know what little man can do. And they're watching God descend from his throne. You with me? Descending past their level of power and might for the moment, and then finding his way to a guy like Troy Durrell, and then going lower than that, and becoming a do loss to humanity. Can you imagine how an angel might scratch their head on that? And like, wow. Like, that's in, that's incredible. Coming in a fashion lower than the angels, they had to marvel at the perplexity, the wonder of this miracle. But for all of that amazing things, I don't think that's what they were praising God for in verse 14. You see, the God have always known God's splendor. They've always known about His omnipotence and majesty. He's always been deserving of praise for that reason. They've always known of the holiness of God. But here in this moment, in a way they had never witnessed before. Now listen, they were beholding God manifest his love in a way that they had never seen before. Now you with me on that? So they're like God. He's amazing. He's majestic. Yes, they know he's a God of love. They know he's a God of compassion. They they had seen God work in the old testament world of the saints. But now God is doing something that they're, they're looking at and he's he's conducting his love in such a way that they're saying we've never seen anything like that before. And whatever it is he's doing that merits the highest praise, the ultimate glory, majesty, omnipotence, omniscience, incalculable glory. But for what he's doing right here. We're all going to get together, we're all going to assemble, and we're going to offer our highest praise for this indescribable act of love on the behalf of God. Now here's the deal for us. There are no words. What is the Lord doing? He's always merited the praise. He's always been great in splendor. But God had come to earth... Verse 14, to do two things. Now, I'm going to be specific. I think here are the two things they're praising God for. Bringing peace and goodwill to men. Okay, full stop. We've heard that a thousand times. We've seen songs about that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a cool Christian, a Christmas sentiment, isn't it? Oh, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And it, it's sort of this like this Christmas sentiment of, hey, let's all be nice to each other. Let's all reconcile. Let's let's all get along. And and I think that is a wonderful sentiment. But I, I don't think that's what's in view here. They 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 are looking at what God is doing, but the marvel and praise is what's happening in verse 10. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord showed around about them, and they were sore afraid. And then they go on to this pronouncement of good tidings to all men. In other words, they were praising God for this act of deity becoming flesh, but more. There was this announcement that was extended to everyone in this room, everyone in the world, all the people that ever would be, that a Savior had come who could redeem mankind from his sins, who could rescue men from the wages of their iniquities, which they could not absolve themselves. He was born to die and be resurrected. Those, so for those who would receive His grace by faith could be brought back to God, not having their trespasses held against them, but instead receiving the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. They were seeing all of this. What an incredible message to share. You can be saved by the merits of Christ. That's a new, it's a new way of thinking, a new reality, a new understanding, the promise of a new provision. But verse 14 says even more. Glory to God in the greatest possible way, for all that creation can muster, because God is bringing peace and goodwill. <laughs> this is nuanced for me, I'm gonna try hard. To men. Now, what he's saying there is not the sentiment that we often feel at Christmas. Yes, there was something tranquil about the birth of Christ and something altruistic that should make us want to be nice to people. But what they're praising is the provision, now listen, for my peace with God. It's not that Jesus was bringing a blanket like peace and saying, here let the world be peace in the world. Look here. This world will never know peace. It's never going to know peace. And most of you struggle to have it in your family. Right? As a church, it's one of my, my biggest prayer concerns is, can we all get along? You know, and by the grace of God, we do. And, I, and are, It's something about Christian character. We, we should give ourselves, as Matthew 5 says, to be peacemakers. But that's not what they're saying. These angels are looking at this unimaginable, incredible, indescribable holy God. Look at Troy Durrell, the miserable, sinful wretch, and making peace with me. That's good. The word goodwill, it's not what we mean, it's, it means favor. God's giving me favor. And the angels go like, "No, wait, time out. That guy's a sinner. The wages of sin is what? Death. We're in a fallen state. Humanity has long rejected and rebelled against God. We are, as the Bible says, at enmity with God. It implies more than an enemy that we have ought between us. God is of pure eyes and even to look upon the iniquity of man. All of our righteousness is filthy rags. The angels know all these theological realities. But they're watching God from heaven descend from that place, coming lower than the angels and lower than me, and looking at me and say, I love you enough that I'm going to make peace with you because you can't make peace with me. It's not in your ability or the possibility for you to do anything to make peace with me. But despite your inability, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to make peace with you. I'm going to extend my goodwill, my favor to you. And the angels look at that, and that is indescribable to them. It it, it blows their brains, if you will. And they all get together, and they start saying, for this, we give glory to God in the highest, for we have never seen love like that. It's incredible. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me very quickly. If I ever had notes, they are gone. (laughs) And and this this may, you know, not lost on you, but in my inability to describe this, but there's just something so much more than the sentiment of, hey, let's get along. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And this is, again, Paul trying to help people understand what God had done for them. In verse 1, and you, this human audience, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He's talking to saved people right now. He's talking to people who were once were lost, but now they're found. These are people who were lost and going to hell that are now saved and going to heaven. Uh, whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In the lust of our flesh, we the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we're by nature the children of, what's that? Whose wrath? God's wrath. Enmity. Once upon a time, you were at enmity with God. And the only thing you could expect was God's wrath poured upon you for your sins. (laughs) And thank God for conjunctions. Verse 4, but God. Okay, now let's just stop. Now that is the ultimate distillation of facts and truth. But God. But God in Christ. But God in Luke 2.14. But, but the God in the act of Second Corinthians, you know, in the chapter 9. But God in the entire reconciliation story. But God in the Christ who died on the cross. But, but God, the one who suffered all the injustice. But God in Christ who went to hell for us. The Christ, I mean, in, in those two words, but God. In all this incredibly benevolent act, the Bible says, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, quickened us together with Christ. For by grace, look here, by God's favor, by his goodwill, by his willingness to bring um, reconciliation, peace between you and him, you can be saved. And the angels go, wow. You may have heard the gospel so long in your life, you think, that's just the way it works. Well, that's the whole point of the message. That's not the way it's always worked. There's always been one way to be saved, but the provision came on this night, and it amazed the angels. And I'd like for it to amaze me a little more than it often does. For by grace, this incredible... Incarnation of Jesus Christ, who is born in the manger. Are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves? It is the gift, the unspeakable gift, the proclaimed gift of Luke two. Of God, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship. In other words, we belong to the Lord. Look at verse, um, okay, verse fourteen. This will help us understand the peace of Luke 2.14. Okay, now look up here real quickly. I told you to look there, but I changing my mind. Look up here. Did, did G, Don't answer the question. Did Jesus come to bring peace? Is He the Prince of Peace? Yes. And one day, He will bring peace in the millennial reign for a time to the whole world, and then there will be an eternity of peace. Can Jesus Christ be peace in my heart? Of course He can. But what is the peace that caused the angels to wonder and that we're to appreciate? Ephesians 2.14. For He is our... What's the word? Who's our peace? Jesus. Who hath made both one, joined together and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. I just don't want this to be lost on you. We, we look and say, yeah, we're okay. We need to be saved, God save us. No, that's not right. I'm not trying to be offensive. Um, In the eyes and mind of God, you weren't just some okay person who needed to be saved. Human words fail to describe the depravity of humankind and who you were, who you are minus Christ. Forgive me, you are everything wicked and despicable in this world. Well, the people are worse than me. If you violate the law of God in one jot or tittle, you are pond scum. Well, I'm a pretty good person. In whose eyes? And on what scale do you measure that by? See, we fail to appreciate the incredible gift because we fail to understand how bad we are. The angels get it. And they go, wow. Wow. He did that for them. See, you, you just didn't need to be saved. You were the enemy of God. Always the object of His love but who you were by nature was offensive to Him. And so Jesus Christ came on the cross to erase the enmity, to break down the wall of sin that stood between God on one side and me on the other. And He joined us together in this great theological truth of reconciliation through the redemption of the price of the cross. And so in doing so, He is my Peace. He's not saying, okay, Jesus is my wow, life's hard, but I'm good. No, he's not that. He can do that. That's not what this verse is saying. That's right. No, he's the one who brought me peace with God. That's he is my peace with God. That's the world would never know peace. Jesus didn't come to bring peace between peoples necessarily. Now, He came to give you a choice to have peace with God. And that's what the angels are marveling over here. Let me keep reading. Verse 15, having abolished his flesh the enmity, the law, the commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself twain one new man, so making peace. In other words, these people have broken the law at every point, the angels are saying. But Jesus came and He erased all that by dying on the cross for them and giving them His, his righteousness. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you, which were far off, and to them that were nigh, the Jews and the Gentiles, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. We're no longer strangers, we're no longer alienated, we're no longer in enmity, but you and I stand in an incredibly privileged position of being at peace with God. Even more than that, if I had more time, you're not just just not since I've been erased, but now I can call the creator of the world's Abba Father. It's incredible. This is what God is being extolled for, His work in Christ on our behalf, being the agency of my peace, of your peace, for all those who receive His grace by faith. Jesus Christ came to abolish the enmity, making God my personal Father. It is so easy to take this for granted at Christmas and to exchange it for a sentiment. What merits God's highest praise? Grace Amen. to you and me. Right. <laughs> I speak and the universe exists. And that deserves a lot of praise and glory. What merits more? More. He saved me. God becoming man and giving His life, taking my deserved hell, and God's holy retribution, Isaiah 53, so He could extend His peace to me and His good will, the favor of God. Titus three five, not by works of righteousness that we have done but according to his mercy, I'm not getting what I deserve. Mercy. And I am getting something I don't deserve. Grace. What is it? God's favor. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy, his favor, he saved us. This so what it says, by the washing and regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost... You know, there's a lot of stuff that says that we may not fully comprehend in the moment, but it all comes through the agency of Christ's provision on the cross. We are justified by God's grace, goodwill. And through that, we have been made the heirs of God in God with Christ. Christmas is a great time. I'm about finished. Christmas is a great time to hope and pray. And because of the work of peace in us to try to work peace out from us as, as well. You know, yeah, let's have peace here at Eastern Baptist Church. Let's try to extend goodwill as long as you understand what it means. That means this, that Brian, you may be a despicable rat and have treated me poorly, but if I'm going to be like God here, I'm gonna extend you favor and grace, no matter what you've done to me or who you are. Now that's a whole nother sermon and good luck with that because that's what God's called you to do. But my point is this, is it's more than that in the Christmas story. Yes, have goodwill towards others. Yes, pursue peace. But Christmas according to Luke 2, the moment that merited the angels highest praise was the idea that the just had come for the unjust to make peace with them and to bring them to God. That made the angels marvel. Because of Jesus, I am no longer in enmity with God, but I have peace with him. There's nothing between us. He's forgiven my sins. God looks at me through the blood of Christ and by His righteousness. I have been redeemed. I am the undeserving beneficiary of God's incredible goodwill because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Book of Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died us. How about this? Let's recognize what God has done for us at Christmas. I love the songs, I love the lights, personally like the tinsels, the trees, like all of it. Let's not let this go. If there was something in the expanse of eternity that made the angels assemble and gather and think, look what God's doing for them. We need to stop and pause in the Christmas season and think, Wow, let's think about what God has done for us. It's a big thought, God extending peace and goodwill to me and to you. And then of course we might have an obligation to share that with others. But let's take a moment and realize that God died for the hateful, the murderous, the thieves, the abhorrent, the ugly, the wickedness of man that resides in part in every single one of us, but still decided to commend His love towards us. We stand justified by the sacrifice of Christ and we shall be saved from wrath through Him. There's a lot that we should stop and praise God for. Let's thank God for his unspeakable gift to us this Christmas season. Let me ask you to stand if you would.